Nick Joaquin was an award-winning Filipino writer and journalist who was born in 1917 and passed away in 2004 at the age of 86. A national artist of the Philippines for literature, he is considered one of the most important Filipino writers. He liked to depict in his works his nostalgia for the past, mysteries and legends, paganism, Christianity and morality, often set in Old Manila. He's perhaps most known for his book, Prose and Poems, which was published in 1952, but for true crime enthusiasts, one favorite is his short story anthology titled Reportage on Crime, 13 Horror Happenings That Hit the Headlines. You're listening to Stories After Dark, a Philippine true crime and mystery podcast powered by Anchor and released exclusively on Spotify. This is the first of two parts of a story based on true events called The House on Zapote Street, written by Nick Joaquin under his pseudonym Quijano de Manila, first published in 1961 in the weekly news magazine Philippines Free Press and then later published as part of reportage on crime. Permission for this story to be read on this podcast was granted by the folks behind Nick Joaquin He Lives, the official Facebook page celebrating everything Nick Joaquin. Please follow the page at facebook.com slash lives. Lending her voice briefly in this episode is Jessica, host of the Asian Madness podcast, a show about true crime, superstitions, urban legends, mysteries, and weird news from the Asian continent. You can listen to the Asian Madness podcast on Spotify. January 1961 Dr. Leonardo Quitangon, a soft-spoken, mild-mannered, cool-tempered Caviteño, was still fancy-free at 35 when he returned to Manila after six years abroad. Then, at the University of Santo Tomas where he went to teach, he met Lydia Cabading, a medical intern. He liked her quiet ways and began to date her steadily. They went to the movies and to ball games, and he took her a number of times to his house in Santa Mesa to meet his family. Lydia was then only 23 and looked like a sweet and spoiled girl, but there was a slight air of mystery about her. Leonardo and his brothers noticed that she almost never spoke of her home life or her childhood. She seemed to have no gay early memories to share with her lover, as sweethearts usually crave to do. And whenever it looked as if she might have to stay out late, she would say, I'll have to tell my father first. And off she would go, wherever she was, to tell her father, though it meant going all the way to Makati Rizal, where she lived with her parents in a new house on Zapote Street. The Kitangons understood that she was an only child and that her parents were, therefore, overzealous in looking after her. Her father usually took her to school and fetched her after classes, and had been known to threaten to arrest young men who stare at her on the streets or press too close against her on jeepneys. This high-handedness seemed natural enough, for Pablo Cabading, Lydia's father, was a member of the Manila Police Department. After Lydia finished her internship, Leonardo Quitangon became a regular visitor at the house on Zapote Street. He was helping her prepare for the board exams. Her family seemed to like him. The mother, Anunciacion, struck him as a mousy woman, unable to speak save at her husband's bidding. There was a foster son, a little boy the Cabadings had adopted. As for Pablo Cabading, he was a fine strapping man, an Ilocano who gave the impression of being taller than he was and looked every inch an agent of the law, full of brawn and guts and force and smoldering with vitality. 
He was a natty dresser, liked youthful colors and styles, decorated his house with pictures of himself, and at 50, looked younger than his inarticulate wife who was actually two years younger than he. When Leonardo started frequenting the house on Zapote Street, Cabading told him, I'll be frank with you, none of Lydia's boyfriends ever lasted 10 minutes in this house. I didn't like them and I told them so and made them get out. Then he added, laying a hand on the young doctor's shoulder, but I like you, you are a good man. The rest of the household were two very young maids who spoke almost no Tagalog and two very fierce dogs chained to the front door in the daytime, unchained in the front yard at night. The house on Zapote Street is in the current architectural cliché, the hoity-toity Philippine split-level suburban style, a half-story perched above the living area to which it is bound by the long slope of the roof and which it overlooks from a balcony so that a person standing in the sala can see the doors of the bedrooms and bathroom just above his head. The house is painted and is also the current fashion in various pastel shades, a different color to every three or four planks. The inevitable piazza curves around two sides of the house which has a strip of lawn and a low wall all around it. The Kabadings did not keep a car, but the house provides for an eventual garage and driveway. This and the upholstered furniture, the shell lamps and the fancy bric-a-brac that clutter the narrow house indicate that the Kabadings had not only risen high enough to justify their split-level pretensions but were expecting to go higher. Odd Honeymoon Lydia took the board exams and passed them. The lovers asked her father's permission to wed. Cabading laid down two conditions, that the wedding would be a lavish one and that Leonardo was to pay a dowry of 5,000 pesos. The young doctor said that he could afford the big wedding but not the big dowry. Cabading shrugged his shoulders. No dowry, no marriage. Leonardo spent some frantic weeks scraping up cash and managed to gather 3,000 pesos. Cabading agreed to reduce his price to that amount, then laid down a final condition that after the wedding, Lydia and Leonardo must make their home at the house on Zapote Street. I built this house for Lydia, said Cabading, and I want her to live here even when she's married. Besides, her mother couldn't bear to be separated from Lydia, her only child. There was nothing Leonardo could do but consent. Lydia and Leonardo were married on September 10 last year at the Cathedral of Manila with Mrs. Delfin Montano, wife of the Cavite governor and Senator Ferdinand Marcos as sponsors. The reception was at the Selecta. The status gods of suburbia were properly propitiated. Then the newlyweds went to live on Zapote Street and Leonardo almost immediately realized why Lydia had been so reticent and mysterious about her home life. The cozy family group that had charmed him in courtship days turned out to be rather too cozy. The entire household revolved in rapt submission around Pablo Cabading. The wife, the daughter, the foster son, the maids, and even the dogs trembled when the master lifted his voice. Cabading liked to brag that he was a killer. In 1946, he had shot dead two American soldiers he caught robbing a neighbor's house in Quezon City. Leonardo found himself within a family turned in on itself, self-enclosed and self-sufficient, in a house that had no neighbors and no need for any. His brothers say that he had made more friends in the neighborhood within the couple of months he stayed there than the Cabadings had made in a year. Pablo Cabading did not like what was his to stray out of and what was not his to stray into his house. 
And within that house, he wanted to be the center of everything, even of his daughter's honeymoon. Whenever Leonardo and Lydia went to the movies or for a ride, Cabadi insisted on being taken along. If they seated him on the back seat while they sat together in front, he raged and glowered. He wanted to sit in front with them. When Leonardo came home from work, he must not tarry with Lydia in the bedroom chatting. Both of them must come down at once to the sala and talk with their father. Leonardo explained that he was not much of a talker. That's why I fell in love with Lydia, because she's the quiet type too. No matter, said Gabading. They didn't have to talk at all. He would do all the talking himself, so long as they sat there in the sala before his eyes. So his cozy family group sat around him at night, silent, while Gabading talked and talked. But finally, the talk had to stop, the listeners had to rise and retire, and it was this moment that Cabading seemed unable to bear. He couldn't bear to see Lydia and Leonardo rise and go up together to their room. One night, unable to bear it any longer, he shouted as they rose to retire, Lydia, you sleep with your mother tonight. She has a toothache. After a dazed look at her husband, Lydia obeyed. Leonardo went to bed alone. The incident would be repeated. There would always be other reasons besides Mrs. Cabading's toothaches. What horrified Leonardo was not merely what was being done to him but his increasing acquiescence. Had his spirit been so quickly broken? Was he too, like the rest of the household, being drawn to revolve silently and obediently around the master of the house? Once, late at night, he suddenly showed up at his parents' house in Santa Mesa, and his brothers were shocked at the great change in him within so short a time. He looked terrified. What had happened? His car had broken down and he had had it repaired and now he could not go home. But why not? You don't know my father-in-law, he groaned. Everybody in that house must be in by a certain hour. Otherwise, the gates are locked, the doors are locked, the windows are locked. Nobody can get in anymore. A younger brother, Jean, offered to accompany him home and explain to Kabading what had happened. The two rode to Zapote and found the house dark and locked up. Says Jean, That memory makes my blood boil, my eldest brother fearfully clanging and clanging the gate, and nobody to let him in. I wouldn't have waited a second, but he waited 5, 10, 15 minutes knocking at that gate, begging to be let in. I couldn't have done it. In the end, the two brothers rode back to Santa Mesa where Leonardo spent the night. When he returned to the house on Zapote the next day, his father-in-law greeted him with a sarcastic question. Where were you? At a basketball game? Leonardo became anxious to take his wife away from that house. He talked it over with her. Then they went to tell her father. Said Cabading bluntly, If she goes with you, I'll shoot her dead before your eyes. His brothers urged him to buy a gun, but Leonardo felt in his pocket and said, I've got my rosary. Cried his brother Jean, you can't fight a gun with a rosary. Tormented Separation When Lydia took her oath as a physician, Kabading announced that only he and his wife would accompany Lydia to the ceremony. It would not be fair, he said, to let Leonardo, who had not borne the expenses of Lydia's education, to share that moment of glory too. Leonardo said that if he could not go, he would like them at least to use his car. The offer was rejected. Cabading preferred to hire a taxi. After about two months at the house on Zapote Street, Leonardo moved out alone. 
Her parents would not let Lydia go and she herself was too afraid to leave. During the succeeding weeks, efforts to contact her proved futile. The house on Zapote became even more close to the outside world. If Lydia emerged from it at all, she was always accompanied by her father, mother or foster brother, or by all three. When her husband heard that she had started working at a hospital, he went there to see her but instead met her father coming to fetch her. The very next day, Lydia was no longer working at that hospital. Leonardo knew that she was with child and he was determined to bear all her prenatal expenses. He went to Zapote one day when her father was out and persuaded her to come out to the yard but could not make her take the money he offered across the locked gate. Just mail it. She cried and fled into the house. He sent her a check by registered mail. It was promptly mailed back to him. On Christmas Eve, Leonardo returned to the house on Zapote with a gift for his wife and stood knocking at the gate for so long the neighbors gathered at windows to watch him. Finally, he was allowed to enter, present his gift to Lydia and talk with her for a moment. She said that her father seemed agreeable to a meeting with Leonardo's father to discuss the young couple's problem. So, the elder Kitangon and two of his younger sons went to Zapote one evening. The lights were on in the Kabading house, but nobody responded to their knocking. Then, all the lights were turned off. As they stood wondering what to do, a servant girl came out and told them that the master was out. Lydia would later tell them that they had not been admitted because her father had not yet decided what she was to say to them. Frantic Elopement the last act of this curious drama began Sunday last week when Leonardo was astounded to receive an early morning phone call from his wife. She said she could no longer bear to be parted from him and bade him pick her up at a certain church where she was with her foster brother. Leonardo rushed to the church, picked up the two, dropped the boy off at a street near Zapote, then sped with Lydia to Maragondon Cavite where the Kitangons have a house. He stopped at a gasoline station to call up his brothers in Santa Mesa and to tell them what he had done and to warn them that Kabading would surely show up there. Get mother out of the house, he told his brothers. At about 10 in the morning, a taxi stopped before the Kitangon house in Santa Mesa and Mrs. Kabading got out and began screaming at the gate. Where's my daughter? Where's my daughter? Jean and Nonilo Kitangon went out to the gate and invited her to come in. No, no! All I want is my daughter! She screamed. Kabading, who was inside the waiting taxi, then got out and demanded that the Kitangons produce Lydia. Vexed, Nonilo Kitangon cried, About what have we to do with where your daughter is? Anyway, she's with her husband. At that, Kabading ran to the taxi, snatched a submachine gun from a box, and trained it on Jean Kitangon. Nonilo had run into the house to get a gun. Produce my daughter at once or I'll shoot you all down, shouted Kabading. Jean, the gun's muzzle practically in his face, sought to pacify the older man. Why can't we talk this over quietly, like decent people inside the house? Look, we're creating a scandal in the neighborhood. Kabading lowered his gun. I give you till midnight tonight to produce my daughter, he growled. If you don't, you better ask the PC to guard this house. Then he and his wife drove off in the taxi just a moment before the mobile police patrol the neighbors had called arrived. The police advised Jean to file a complaint with the fiscal's office. Instead, Jean decided to go to the house on Zapote Street, hoping that diplomacy would work. To his surprise, he was admitted at once by a smiling and very genial Kabading. You are a brave man, he told Jean. 
and a lucky one, and he ordered the coke brought for the visitor. Jean said that he was going to Cavite but could not promise to produce Lydia by midnight. It was up to the couple to decide whether they would come back. Thank you for listening to Stories After Dark, a Spotify exclusive powered by Anchor. This episode was produced by me, Derek, and the story Jessica and I read was written by Nick Joaquin under the pen name Quijano de Manila. Music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Listen to the next episode for the second and final part of this story. And to make sure you're updated about the show, please follow Stories After Dark on your Spotify app as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to see the references used for this episode, suggest cases, send personal stories, or further support the show, you can go to storiesafterdark.ph for more information. All of the links are in the episode description.